I think your Chargers, this is the year. I mean, they should put it together. to betting now point spreads and all other things not contest related and this summer i've really picked up on your offseason mantra being that it's easier to keep up than to catch up when it comes to the nfl and i'd love to ask what your offseason prep has you most confident about at this stage just a few weeks from the season kicking off uh, i spent uh i think what 15 years in a row taking the summers off and coming into NFL and I did fine. Uh, But this year I focused on a lot of prep, a lot of background and I'm enjoying it. There's no pressure in it. I just want more familiarity so that I don't have to dig deeper when stuff changes during the season, as far as predispositions and, and what I've learned, it's all meaningless after, you know, very early in the season. I, I think bringing in last year's history and, and, and expecting your predictions to come true is, is foolheartedly because there's always a lot of turnover in the playoffs that is unexpected. There's always these week two overreactions. So I'm ready to pick. I mean, I have opinions on a lot of different teams, but I'm not entrenched in any of them. I mean, if I have to pivot by week three, week four, I'm going to do it. The metrics are going to tell me what's going on throughout this whole team. And I don't have to trust my lying eyes once I I can start trusting my metrics. And with all the prep you've done, I understand that you tend to be pretty hesitant when it comes to playing futures. You don't want to clutter your mind once the season really picks up and gets going. But with all the prep you've done this offseason that, as you touched on, is a departure from what you've done for the previous 15 years or so, have there been any actionable angles that you've looked to attack prior to the season kicking off? Well, you know, I've dropped I've dropped the ball all summer. It's embarrassing. I'm, I'm not holding any Atlanta under. I'm not holding any Bears under. I'm holding Baltimore to win the division and, uh, um, I think, conference uh, at great numbers. But uh, – um, I don't even have my Lions over. So I, I just, uh, like you mentioned, I, I don't need the clutter, although I did it in baseball. I mean, it, like somebody at my level is not going to let it affect them. But for 98% of people betting futures, it's going to affect bets during the regular season because you're going to shy away or gravitate to what you need in these futures. And you don't even realize it in the back of your head that's, that that's what you're doing and you're costing yourself objectivity. Somebody that's like me who's you know kind of just as uh, uh, robotic about what my decisions are going to be. I can push that stuff aside, but um, I, I, it's I don't need it there either, though. If that makes any sense. Sure. And to that point about trying to stay objective almost at all costs, even with all the prep you've done, being open to changing your mind once the season kicks off where would you say you're most open to pivoting quickly once the season begins? I know some of these teams have more question marks than others. Well, it, every, I, I, I think the greatest surprise when I'm waiting for the spreadsheet to come out, uh, I used to do it, I think, 
week four, then I changed it to week three, and I started doing it since week two. But the greatest feeling is when you know what has transpired and you see this spreadsheet with the numbers, and there's always two to three teams that you have no idea how well they're doing stuff or how poorly they're doing stuff. And your eyes are in the, the impression is that these teams are one thing. And, you know, with the volume of inputs that I use, I can tell about a week or two sooner before the, the rest of the market reacts to some teams because they're using uh, different metrics that don't really matter and are distractions more than anything with a lot of manual inputs that can have errors. And they, I, I like to see the entire uh, product of these teams from every single angle. And I, and, and it's, it's shocking every year to just see the, a, a handful of teams, just you'd be shocked at, at how off the charts they are. When it comes to that element of surprise, you touched on the volume of inputs that you used also some metrics, other people perhaps give too much weight to what do you think gives you that edge to figure things out perhaps a week or two ahead of the curve without revealing too much on your end and spoon feeding the audience. Anything in particular that you think is worthwhile for people to pay more attention to, or perhaps to try to tune out that gets a lot more coverage across the rest of the sports media landscape. I think if you're listening to people advocate their games and they're only focusing on EPA or DVOA or, or like two or three different statistics as a, as a basis, um, I, I, I don't pay much credence to the, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, there's also a lot of people using these new stats. It seems like everybody's trying to outdo each other, so to speak. And I've kept mine very simple. I mean, my what I do is very simple. And I see these other people that are using these new metrics that actually have human elements to how those are created. So what you're basically doing is using human elements, treating them as you know, indisputable metrics when they're not. And then if you're combining these different inputs uh, of that have human elements in it, then you're compounding the problem that you have, so to speak. And I, and I see people developing stats uh, that I know are manually adjusted and they're not, they don't hold true throughout the year. Like when, uh, when some stats get out of whack, they kind of get corrected by the people creating them. So uh, I, there's just too much movement at the wrong times. It's, it, it just seems obvious to me that you can't trust some of these stats. On the notion of zigging when everybody else is zagging, I'm reminded of last year about this time during the preseason when we connected, you seemed quite low on Tampa Bay's prospects, largely because during their Super Bowl run the season before, they had gone plus 10 in turnover differential in their four playoff wins. Certainly plenty of skill involved for any team that wins the Super Bowl, but oftentimes it takes a lot of luck as well. And that reminds me of the Rams, the reigning champs, as we enter this season. I mean, they were a dropped interception, and it was a can of corn, a dropped interception away from losing the NFC title game at home to a 49ers team that I believe I was told was playing roughly its 20th consecutive road game, yet the Rams just barely skated by in that one. Do you think the market might be subject to some of the same resulting bias with the Rams Super Bowl championship last year that came into play with a team like Tampa Bay the prior season having won the Super Bowl? Uh, you know what? If San Francisco can just get adequate quarterbacking, I, I believe they win that division. 
Um, the, the, you know, San Francisco's a lot, a hell of a lot deeper. And the Rams have a lot of stars, but they, they, they are not in a position to uh, lose them. There's just not the, uh, the proper backups there. So, you know, I'm a Stafford fan, but they did it with smoke and mirrors last year. They had a lot of luck, you know, and uh, it's going to be interesting with that division because Seattle's probably dumping and, and I'm, I was really optimistic on Arizona until I heard of some in-depth chats about it. And then now I'm starting to question, you know, how well Arizona is going to be able to do with the difficulty of their schedule. And uh, just the, you know, the quarterback's always getting hurt every season and they fail in the second half of every season. Clingsbury, you know, is great at the beginning of the season. So I, I think it's a two horse race with with uh, San Francisco. And I actually lean with San Francisco just because uh, I think they should have kept Garoppolo, of course, but uh, I think that they're going to be able to get by unless the quarterback is a disaster. I'm intrigued by what you said about Arizona, noting that they have a pretty clear track record at this point of starting really hot, cooling off as the season progresses partially due to Kyler Murray's perhaps stature and style of play lending to a greater injury risk, also partially with Cliff Kingsbury perhaps not evolving as the season progresses. If you have a team that you've got pegged to start well and finish poorly, all else being equal, is there anything at this age that you consider taking advantage of to that notion from a betting standpoint? Not really, because I'd rather knowing that the team that that uh, you're going to be able to bet season wins for the whole season long and futures are adjusted. I, I don't feel the the need to deal with it at this point. These numbers have been shaped all summer long. I mean, yeah, there's little bits of value here and there, especially if you get information ahead of time. But I, I'd rather trust. Uh, a few weeks into the season to see what we're, what's going on. Because, you know, when you make fun of like new England, you don't know what's going to happen with new England this year, but you damn well know that everybody's, you know, thinking they're going to be headed for a down year. And we thought that last year and they had a decent year. So uh, let's see what happens because that could be a feast or famine uh, type of team. Miami, uh, you know, that's up or down. Uh, Minnesota, we don't know what's going to go on there. Dallas, I mean, Dallas is, you know, everybody's, you know, poo-pooing Dallas now. And I kind of agree with it, but, geez, if they've got any pride, maybe they'll show up and, 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 and really, you know, put away their cockiness that we see every year and really get down to business, so to speak. But when you have 17 penalties in the game, you know, how are you going to overcome that? I feel like I should have anticipated you perhaps putting some cold water on the hot takes, looking to aggressively fade teams like the Patriots and Cowboys. Kind of refreshing to hear a more open-minded approach that, yeah, those takes may well be accurate, but we might not be as good as we tend to think we are at predicting them so confidently at this stage of the summer. And Chris, I'd like to pivot just a little bit. We're betters, but we're also fans. We each have our favorite team. Let's spend a couple minutes on each of them. Starting with my Chargers, I've got the shirt on today in honor of you last season never putting them in your top 10. I guess you can claim victory after they crushingly failed to make the playoffs. One of the biggest reasons why, something you dubbed their special needs teams. Yeah. In fact, when I had the pleasure of meeting your partner, Ron, at last Friday's LA Sports Betting Meetup, he said that if the Chargers finish 19th or better in special teams this season, they're going to win the AFC West. 
What would you say, Chris, would be your over-under for the Chargers' minimum finish in special teams to go ahead and win the best division in football? Well, I don't know about categorizing that. Uh, You know, we're going to see some improvement. And uh, I'm kind of optimistic on your Chargers this year. I I think that they've filled a lot of holes. And, uh, you know, they don't have to pay these big contracts uh, for Herbert and uh, a couple of other players because they've been drafting so well and they've been able to pick up some great free agents with the money that they have available. So um, I think Kansas City is – I don't think they're as good defensively as they were, and I don't think that they're as good offensively as they were. So it leaves the door wide open for the Chargers to pass them up. Uh, The Denver defense is uh, better than the Kansas City defense. Uh, They're going to be offensively better. Uh, so there's some optimism in Denver. I've seen them rated as high as top five by some prognosticators. I think that's a little generous, but I I think your Chargers, this is the year. I mean, they should put it together. Man, I hope you're right. It feels like every summer the whole betting landscape is high on them at this stage, and something always seems to go wrong. I really like what I saw out of Staley and his approach and Justin Herbert's development last season. Part of me is the self-defeatist lifelong Chargers fan is just wondering, how are they going to rip my heart out this year? But if I try to be objective, it's tough to pinpoint where they haven't at least put themselves in the strongest position that they can at this stage. I guess that's about the best you can ask, and we'll let the chips fall where they may. And with your Detroit Lions, Chris, you touched on being late to the party, not getting an over ticket in on them early for their regular season win number. At this stage, I think if anybody's going to play the Lions regular season one total, it's probably just a waiting game to take the under closer to kickoff when you might get some pretty manageable juice on the Lions under seven. Plenty of hype all offseason with the draft and now with hard knocks in progress. All that said, what's your outlook as both a better and a fan on the Detroit Lions? Well, I advise people to actually avoid betting their their home teams uh, or their favorite teams as much as possible unless you are literally able to really zone in with huge confidence that you know exactly what's going on with your team instead of like, "Ah, I think they should win. Uh, You know, I've been in this, I remember being in the zone with the Pistons when they played the Lakers and I got every game, every single thing right. And I knew I was going to get it right. And there's a big difference between being a fan and trying to follow and bet without, like really being in sync with them. Uh, I just had to say that. But as far as the Lions go, you're going to get 100% effort from this team. This team is, you know, is buying in 100%. You've got the – they're on hard knocks. The coaches are actually doing drills with the players. There's no pressure on golf. And golf came in 100% prepared. He he knew the playbook day one, and he he was – uh, really praised by teammates that this guy was serious. They've given him, you know, running back options, tight end options, uh, receiver options. They have a top three to four offensive line in the NFL already. Um, you know, their, their issues are going to be a little bit on defense, but they've added two edge rushers and uh, the cornerback position is, eh. uh, but as long as you're scoring points and you're keeping your defense off the team, off the field, that's going to be a help. And they went through some bizarre games last year. Uh, it, you cannot help but to appreciate the enthusiasm with this team 
and it's 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 infectious around the nation where people are kind of liking them. So, but they could be a disaster still. They really could because Campbell. <laughs> We don't know how good he can do or how well he can do uh, as a coach. You know, he's the rah-rah guy, but when it gets down to it, you're going to have to know what you're doing at some point without error. Uh, and that's going to be interesting because they, they – I, I'm optimistic. I believe that this team has a outside chance at the playoffs. They could do very well. But if things go south, they can go south on them. One of the things you touched on, trying to figure out just what the coach can do to really elevate the team around him. And that reminds me of a macro level point that you've brought up over the last year or so since the season was extended with a 17th game. Inevitably, it feels like it's going to be 18 games pretty soon. And that's the lotion, the notion of load management, uh, to borrow a phrase from NBA handicapping. In this case, you think a lot of teams would be better suited to have two competent quarterbacks. And we saw the Ravens, they, they had a decent backup last year at times, but really without Lamar Jackson for an extended stretch, that among plenty of other injuries really came back to bite them. And I wonder about a team like the Rams this year. It sounds like Stafford, you know, he's a tough guy. He's going to play through pain. But if his elbow takes a turn any further than the damage that it's already sustained, what do they have waiting in the wings? So when it comes to load management, teams probably needing two quarterbacks at some point, when do you think we see that take hold throughout the league? And are there any teams that you think might be best equipped or perhaps worst equipped to sustain injuries to their starting quarterbacks in 2022? I think they're going to have to start considering this uh, when the 18-game season hits because it's just way too many games to stay healthy. They've got to reduce the number of preseason games, of course. Um, you know, I want to touch back on this Baltimore issue because a lot of people, a lot of smart people sit there and, and they're poo-pooing uh, uh, Jackson and the Baltimore effort last year. And they none of them mentioned that that was an intentional goal of the team was to try to tune his pocket passing ability. So he wasn't operating normally. As a quarterback, he was trying to improve his pocket awareness and stuff. And nobody has even mentioned that in any of the complaints about his performance last year. And, you know, when they got injury prone, they had no choice but to go back to, you know, him running the ball and, and being who he can be. And then he gets hurt. So uh, just a few things to consider there. Uh, as far as I don't, you know, as far as the teams that are best or worst suited for, for quarterback disasters, you know, it's always the superstars, obviously. Um, any any team that has – I don't know who the backup is for San Diego. Who's the backup for San Diego? Uh, there's a bit of a battle, and I wish it was still San Diego. Hope it will be again soon someday, but we might as well keep calling oh, them the San Diego yeah, Chargers, right. the Oakland Raiders. There's a battle between Chase Daniel and Easton Stick right now. So TBD, but a far cry from Justin Herbert in either scenario. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the one team that sticks out to me like a uh, sore thumb. Um, I, you know, I think a Kansas City can't afford to uh, – uh, Denver can't afford to lose a quarterback. Uh, um, Rodgers can't afford to lose him. I, I mean, it, it just boils down to those key teams with the better quarterbacks because there's, there's always such a big drop-off. 
Let's touch on NFL sides a little bit here as well. More from a macro level, I understand that you used to bet them pretty early in the week, and that's changed in a big way these past couple of years with protocols. You just haven't bothered to look at lines early. So much was subject to change. Now that, for the most part, protocols are gone, what's your approach entering this season when it comes to betting sides early versus perhaps a third straight year of waiting and betting later in the week? Well, we've had some changes in the betting market over the last few years, so I, I, I'm i going to have to just act on – each week is different. I mean, there's some weeks where I do bet early, and then there's some weeks I'm not betting till late. I, I actually bet a fair amount of game day plays, but – Every year you see these changes in betting patterns, and I anticipate there's going to be something different with the NFL betting this year that uh, I can't predict. You know, example, we know that, you know, we had a Euro group coming in and betting Philadelphia every week, uh, and, and some of these betting groups are betting at the wrong times. I mean, they could have had better lines, and they just don't care, or they're naive about the market. Uh so market awareness is my number one goal. I'm watching it uh, like uh, watching paint dry or the grass grow uh, all week long because you need every half point you can get and you need to learn how, why, how and why the market is moving. You need to know when the injuries are released. You need to know when the team reports are out and those are the, you need to know when certain services are releasing. Those are all major, major factors that you have to be aware of that are, that are just too, a burdensome for the average better to keep track of. When you talk about knowing when major services are releasing, at the very least, just to know what the market impact is going to be, are there any services that you'll pay to subscribe to, even if you don't intend to follow them, but just so that you know how you can best stay ahead of the market? Well, I have in the past I, um, for, for, for different stuff because uh, there are, you know, good resources and sources for that information. Uh, but I generally, you know, find out one way or another, you know, when, uh, when lines are going to come out, they, you know, might be the same time all the time uh, for certain services. If I see a line move and I don't know why it moved, I'm going to make some phone calls, you know, offshore or to people that I trust, they, you know, who bet that? Why did they bet? What's the story? So I want to know why stuff has moved, even if I missed the boat. Uh, you just don't ignore that the line moved. You want to know why it moved. And when you call a book, perhaps an offshore, and you ask who bet that, why do you think it moved? Will they give you that information because you're also giving them other information to reciprocate at other times? I know for the average better, they don't have that option. So I'm wondering what makes that a viable strategy for your process? Well, it comes from... You know, some people make fun of it, but, you know, spreading out uh, relationships and, and developing relationships and, and more importantly, preserving relationships and uh, uh, proving yourself uh, trustworthy or reliable goes a hell of a long way uh, down the road many years later uh, for, you know, basically uh, putting yourself in a position to access more information and to be able to casually call somebody that somebody like, uh, you know, that has only been in uh, this for a few years would never dream of, you know, trying to contact. Uh, and even if they did, you know, they wouldn't, they'd be shown the door or like, who are you? So it's important to build relationships. I can't tell you how many circumstances that have come up where, 
you know, just treating somebody nicely, meeting them a long time ago, uh, you bump into people in strange ways again sometimes. And uh, you just don't burn any bridges and, and, and build relationships. And you're going to get yourself in a position of acquiring more information. One more thing I'd like to dig into while we're talking NFL sides. You touched on the importance of getting every half point you can and thinking about the most important half point in the NFL, that hook going on or off of three. A lot of bettors despise taking two and a half or laying three and a half. In fact, I've heard somebody go on a podcast, Bats, who I met at Bet Bash in Vegas earlier this year. He had a lot of great insight to offer, but I was taken back a bit by his number one piece of advice on this interview that I heard. He said his top advice to betters would be never lay two and a half or take three and a half. And that kind of caught my attention because I will concede that there is asymmetric risk, again, especially early in the week. I, I would ascribe to that when we're working right around some really key numbers, when a half point move in one direction can mean a lot more than two points in the other direction. But I also understand on the flip side of that coin, you've talked about as part of your process over the years, learning to ignore the hook when you're looking at point spreads. I'd love it if you could elaborate a bit on why and how you developed that mindset of just ignoring what a lot of people obsess over. I, well, I think there's, I, I absolutely pay attention to the hook, but when you mentioned that two and a half story, I think I, I won the the NFL last man standing last year. I, I, I think I took two consecutive games plus two and a half, which are painful. Uh, you know, your mental outlook is, oh, man, I really need that half a point. But as you mentioned, um, you can't blindly bet plus two and a half, but you, it's down there for a reason. And there's a lot of times that plus two and a half is actually a gift. And it should have been you know, one the other way or two the other way. Um, but the, the, the just, the, you know, avoiding buying points and, and learning to live with being on the other side of the half a point is a maturing process uh, because we naturally are greedy and we want the best of it and, and foolishly overpay for some things uh, just for our peace of mind, so to speak. And I've, I've, you know, laid the half point that I don't want to lay more often recently uh, than I did in the past. So uh, you have to be willing to adjust on the fly. I mentioned it uh, this morning that I'm looking at involving front-legged parlays and teasers more uh, on standalone games, and I don't see anybody else doing it. I've been doing it for a little while. I used that technique in MMA also. Um but I don't have that honed as well as I'd like to. There's a little bit of a learning process on how to maximize that use. Circling back for a quick moment on that example you mentioned, say a team is plus two and a half and you think they should be minus one. So case of wrong team favored, even though it's a short point spread, how eager are you to take the two and a half? Or if you think the wrong team is favored, that plus two and a half would also typically come with a plus payout on the money line. So what's your approach to taking the points versus at a short number less than three, taking a plus payout on the money line for that team to win outright? Well, I tweeted out, I tweeted out my worksheet uh, a few days ago because I'm, I'm doing an autopsy of 2021 every single play. And one of the things I was charting because I had, you know, trolls in my 
Twitter saying you're an idiot for, you know, just bet the dog outright, just bet the dog outright. Um, I, I'm not finding I would be profitable doing that uh, on the money line. So, but when you get to the lower numbers, I, I definitely bet both money line and spread uh, when we're talking about de definitely under three. I'm typically betting both. Um, but I, I'm just not seeing a reason higher than three to be taking the money lines in general. I, I, I've been charting it for years and it just doesn't work for me. Like apparently some trolls, it, work, it works a hundred percent for them. <laughs> well, let's talk about that full autopsy for a bit, as you called it a deep dive on your record. I know that last summer you did it for the 2020 season and understand that that exercise is still in progress right now for the 2021 season. What does that process look like for you when you talk about going through that full autopsy? I like to manually go through this stuff. I don't want a computer to calculate this stuff for me. I could put all this stuff, I could have somebody enter it in a, in a worksheet for me and I can look at all this data and it's going to save me days of work. But I find it invaluable to go through week by week manually touching every single team, everything, every single spread, every single wager, because it brings me back to that time. And when I do this, I remember what I was thinking. I remember these games. They're not forgotten. I remember the tough decisions and I chart everything. I, you know, for the last seven years, this will be the seventh, I'll have seven years of data that I'll be posting when I finish 2021. I know what my record is betting on and against every team. I know what my record is, uh, longest winning streaks, longest losing streaks, the, uh, the, the home, the away, season by season. I chart week by week every, you know, what's my record week three for seven years in a row. Every little angle that I can possibly chart, I'm charting and I'm looking at, plus other stuff I don't want to talk about uh, uh, that, I can, that I can extract from it, but. And I've had a lot of support from people on Twitter saying they do the exact same thing. It's like when I was cheating in high school. By the time I wrote out the cheat sheet, I didn't need it anymore because it stuck. When you talk about looking at everything from every angle you can, again, without divulging too much here, anything you can share about leaks that you discovered in your own approach or any strengths that you realized you could perhaps double down on, uh, some concepts cutting in either direction that might benefit a lot of the listeners to keep in mind for their own processes. You just, again, beating a dead horse, you have to have an open mind and be willing to pivot on any opinion that you have. You have to, I feel when you're betting NFL, you ha there are some people that are able to do it without any metrics of, of value that they um, use from week to week uh, that, that they've created. Um it's very hard to do that. You need, I, I feel it's important to somehow get back to home base with whatever you're doing. And you can do that as a, you know, simply as a power rating chart and changing that week to week, uh, make the average team zero and uh, move a team up uh, or down from there. But I, I think it's important not to just wing it week to week, have something that you can revert to as a base and change that base week by week as realistically as you can. And if it, if, if whatever you're doing says uh, this, my favorite team is no good anymore. You got to be happy that you found that information out, not disappointed. You talk about how hard this can be. And I think that's a good bridge to talk about some lifestyle habits. I know you're big on habit and routine and 
mental health is a big part of this whole dynamic because even as a pro better with a lot of success, both betting and in contests, as we've covered off on already, it's not always going to be a smooth ride. And I know that you've talked about in the past, if you get off to a pretty bad start with your bets on a Sunday morning, there are times when you'll just check out and get the rest of the scores on Monday. And in those kind of scenarios, I'm wondering if we can peel back the curtain here and get a glimpse into what the rest of that Sunday looks like once you've decided to check out on the NFL. Pouting. <laughs> now it's uh, I don't know what it is. There's a, there's a lot of other people that say the same thing. It, it's, it's important uh, for a variety of reasons that I win, whether it's for people that follow me for contests, for my actual personal bankroll, there's, there's a lot of, you know, layered thought processes that go on. And if you've worked your ass off all week long and you're, you're seeing immediately poor results, you know, sometimes you just don't, you just don't want to deal with it. It's like, you know what, Calgon, take me away. Give me the night off. I'll, I'll look at this in the morning and, and deal with it then. Uh, and, and sometimes you make big comebacks and you didn't even know it. And sometimes you wake up to a disaster, but nevertheless, you, uh, don't ignore what's good for what works for you. If, if, if checking it, I mean, if you need to sweat that stuff and you know that it's good for you, then go ahead and do that. I don't need to watch the games. I don't think watching the, I believe watching the games gives me misperceptions and I'm going to trust my metrics more than watching the games. Anyway, I watch some of them, but sometimes I just scroll Twitter though. The, the whiners and the chirpers, tell me exactly what's going on in these games better than if I'm watching it. Sometimes it's, it's amazing. Uh, and that's the way I've arranged my Twitter accounts you know, is moaners and groaners uh, in one. And, and, and the other one is more straightforward, but it's fun to actually, there are times where I was in the mood where like every Sunday night, I didn't watch the game. I watched it on Twitter by the people pissing and moaning or chirping. And they, they, they tell you what happens on every play anyway. Sticking with mental health, by the way, when you talk about a bucket of moaners and groaners in one category and everybody else in the other, I will selfishly hope that I could fall into the latter more often than not. But we're all subject to moaning and groaning, that human element at some point. And part of your process for navigating this, I'm reminded of your recent appearance with Gil Alexander last week. You mentioned coming into the studio on six and a half hours of sleep as if six and a half hours was too much sleep for you and you felt kind of groggy. When it comes to your habits and routine during the season, how much sleep do you target every night? Oh, the problem is, is two years ago I had perfect habits. And then last year I, I, I kind of, they got disrupted and they're severely disrupted now. So I need to somehow correct uh, and get into a, a, a healthy and manageable a stream of habits, but I'm just uh, overwhelmed at the moment. So I'm, you know, being open about that, that that can happen to anybody. But I know for a fact that habits are crucial, absolutely crucial. And I kind of blew them off last year just uh, for a variety of reasons. But this year I intend on getting into a schedule. Um, I can function on four or five hours of sleep, you know, without a problem, because if you're, if you're running, if you're healthy and you're running proper habits and you're enthusiastic when you wake up, then that's going to be great. But if you're dragging and, and, and everything is inconsistent and, and, and just winging it, it's just not a good 
program. And, and they touched on it also. Like if you're really serious about your betting and your contests, don't, don't plan a vacation. Everything gets disrupt, disrupted on vacations. There's, there's, there's responsibilities. There's people relying on you. What are we going to do here? You got problems here with the rental car, the hotel. You just never know. But one way or another, it's disruptive for your thought process and contests and betting and be aware of it. What would you say is your best habit? And what would you say is your worst habit? Oh, I think my best habit is to disassociate a hundred percent from my bets. You know, everything is just, uh, I'm betting, you know, I bet a a fair amount, but it's not going to, I don't allow it to, to ruin my, my experiences. You know, you, you, every single person is going to go through great runs and bad runs. And yeah, those bad runs are tough, but yeah, I'm pretty good about kind of keeping level-headed about it. Uh, other than people that are following me, I, 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 that's what I really dislike. Uh, but as far as for me, I know to expect these things and, 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 I, and I deal with them. And, and most pros are able to do that very easily. You know, the younger ones will, you know, piss and moan and whine about their bad beats and they'll chirp when they win and showboat. And it's like, grow up. I mean, you know, if, if you're, you're going to get more bad beats, the better that you do uh, for whatever reason that is. As far as bad, that was my good habit. The bad habits, ugh. Bad habits are too many. <laughs> I got a lot of bad habits. <laughs> All right. Well, then I will follow up on the way you ended your answer about the good habit. Why do you think it is? I've heard you say this a few times before as well, that if you're good at this, you'll have more bad beats than, say, fortunate victories. Yeah, well, because if, because you're always going to be in the game, so to speak. And um, the... It's hard to explain, but you, if you have a solid system, you're not you're going to be in more games that matter than don't, uh, and are going to be closer to the number because you're finding value uh, in certain situations that is not random value. Value there's true value there. So uh, oftentimes those games are very close, and uh, you're facing variance. Uh, the, 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 those games of value are traditionally not the garbage games that end 12 to one or in a baseball game or uh, blowouts in NFL. So it's, it's, it has to do with you putting yourself into more games with a positive uh, expectation than not. And Chris, well, I've got you. I feel like I'd be remiss not to touch on the content space as well. I know you've been crushing it with your YouTube channel, your recent appearances. You're also a savant when it comes to consuming other shows and podcasts and I would have to imagine in your shoes, it must feel like everybody is always coming to you for insight, whether it's contest picks, ATS picks, overall strategy. But to flip that on its head a little bit, over the course of your excellent off-season YouTube interview series with some all-star guests, what are some of the best insights that you've taken away from other people who have come on your show? Oh, uh, you know, it, it, I've been very fortunate to have uh, Ron and I have, have, have had a uh, an excellent summer series of premium guests. And, and what I am most proud of is that literally all of them comment of, you know, 
of talking about something different and uh, making them think and uh, react on things that they don't expect to be asked. Uh, th that's heaven for us because there's a lot of, especially with somebody like Adam Chernoff, uh, uh, Todd or uh, Todd Furman and, and Dr. Bob, they, they've been out there and trying to find original topics is hard. It's a lot harder than you think. And uh, if you're familiar with people's work, you, you, you've listened to everything that they've done. And it's like, well, what's left to talk about? So uh, the just the, the, the validation of us understanding them well enough to communicate clearly with us and to expand on the questions that we have is, is valuable because it reinforces that what we're doing and what we're thinking is right. And, and the, just whatever little tidbits we can uh, glean from any additional comments is great. And just hearing just fresh perspectives and, and, and realizing that everybody goes through the same ups and downs and nobody knows it all. Uh, everybody's working really hard for their success and they have a great appreciation for their success. And, uh, 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 that's what I get out of it is, Hey, I'm not alone. You know, I'm learning little bits of knowledge and absorbing as much as I can. And on the other side of things, when you're not creating content, you spend a lot of time consuming other people's content. I know you're a podcast junkie and you're interested in all points of view, not just thinking you're a pro better with a really strong network, but there are people across the spectrum who might have something valuable to offer or you maybe just find it entertaining. But I'd be curious, Chris, to get your take on the last thing that you might have been stopped in your tracks that you learned from perhaps a more novice or amateur betting podcast. Yeah. You know, this is the first year that I've actually found the uh, 1.2, 1.5, 1.75 on uh, podcasts. I, I used to never use that. And, and this is the first year I'm starting to have to, I'm sick and tired of, of, of the, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes sometimes of uh, self-adulation and, uh, and nonsense that have nothing to do with podcasts. You know, some of these people think that, you know, everybody has all this time on their hands and they don't. I mean, I can't tell you, I put out a tweet on that. I can't tell you how many people said, I can't stand these people and the time that they waste either. I mean, it's like, I, it's an instant fast forward. So they're, they're losing out on it. I mean, it, uh, but there was recently, I remember, I tuned into a podcast and there was somebody I wanted to listen to and a guest that I had no interest in, uh, but the topic was there. And it was a, uh, it was actually a woman that was new. She admitted she's only been bet betting six, or six months and I'm rolling my eyes, but I'm listening to her and I realized that I was benefiting from a a new better's perspective. And I had lost some of, uh, of my perspective of being in that position, so to speak. And then I found myself saying, boy, I haven't thought about that angle in so long. It must be like seven, 10 years. I don't even know. And uh, I haven't thought this way in so long. And, and, and I don't know what it was, but I found value out of it. And when you're talking about regular podcasts from week to week, I just want as many perspectives as possible, whether they're, I already know what I'm going to do. Um, nobody's going to talk me out of what I'm going to do as far as NFL goes, but I want to just hear the perspectives because it's going to help me 
understand the value of teams, the perspective that people have on the value of teams and where the market may move later on in the week or where it may not move later on in the week. So it's all per- peripheral type uh, value for me. When it comes to capturing a lot of different perspectives, I've got to ask on the heels of everything you've done with Ron, with your YouTube interview series this summer, by the way, Ron did a great job on his first decent appearance today. It was cool that both of you were in studio with Gil any plans for the YouTube channel building on that interview series once we hit the regular season? No, I, I, I'm not sure we have the time. We're going to do a weekly Friday show with uh, uh, Ted from uh, a sports line or sports byline or sports US. I forget. Jeez, I'm embarrassed, but <laughs> uh, he, he covers a game every week. We're going to actually do that Friday and discuss the game that he's covering every week. Uh, for uh, the radio, and uh, I think that that might be amusing. The, the the summer series was just a pet project that I always wanted to do and grateful I was able to get those kinds of guests. Uh, as far as the regular season, what I really would want to do is I'd love to record how Ron and I go through the entire NCAA and NFL schedule every week, And uh, uh, but there's just a little bit too much that we can't share, uh, so to speak. But that that would be a, a goal some way, somehow, to maybe vanilla it down a little bit uh, uh, for once. But uh, right now, they, they, we're just going to see what time allows and uh, wing it. Maybe one day I can bribe the two of you for my own glimpse behind the curtain, giving you some spicy Thai food, giving Ron some good beer, and we can all break it down together. I would love to be a fly on the wall for something like that. But I also would love to turn the tables on you before moving off of content altogether. A question that you often ask your guests. I don't know if I've ever heard you speak to your own perspective on this. What would you say is the best and the worst decision that you've made during your time as a better? Well, categorizing it, the worst decisions that I made were a long time ago and I learned from. And that is... uh, and it's a little boring, but you just cannot chase a bad weekend away. And uh, chasing losses or trying to get back to even is not even a thought in my head ever, ever, ever anymore. But I remember those days of where, you know, a bad Saturday or a bad Sunday and, and you want to get it back and you're chasing. And, and it, that's just it's just a horrible way to live. It really is. It's not what you want your thought process to be even considering. Um, probably the, uh, the the best thing that I've done is um, I was going to, I was seriously considering not doing anything as, as of uh, uh, 2020, like as late as uh, August, I was like, ah, do I want to do this anymore? And the reason why it was it was a, an issue is that I knew that I had to do one of two things because my partnership with my former partner Frank, uh, we we separated. He's he's doing other stuff, so it was going to have to be on my own. And I and it took me a couple of months. You're either going to do it a hundred percent or you're not going to do it. You're not going to do this half-assed. And I think coming back and, and working a hundred percent was the best decision you know, for, for all around. I mean, I did well in Circa that year, did well in NFL. Uh, and, and actually coming, uh, even more importantly, 
is challenging myself with new opportunities, not shying away from, you know, you and I were invited on the, we did the bet us stuff. Uh, it's not my wheelhouse. I'm not a media guy. I, I'm not going to do anything in media. And, and, and when I first started it, I sucked. I mean, it was just like embarrassing. And I'm just pleased that I have done stuff like that and a bunch of other things that I'm like, I'm going to have no regrets. I want to challenge myself to, to meeting new people and new ideas and not being a wallflower and, and just, just opening up to just new experiences. So I had no idea that you were that close to perhaps walking away. I'm, I'm glad I asked you that. And you were so candid in your answer because selfishly for myself, and I'm sure a bunch of people watching, listening to this conversation, it's such a blessing that you've maintained and even grown your presence in this space so that the rest of us can benefit. So I'm really glad that you were able to distill it down to that hell yes or no mindset, or perhaps to quote the great Ron Swanson, don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. Yeah. So I'm really glad you're still in the game, whole-assing this entire endeavor. And Chris, you probably know what's coming up next, piggybacking that last question. What's your favorite and least favorite thing about being a better? My least favorite is absolutely 100% is my time is not my own. I hate it. And I, I may not do this after this year. I, I, it just, it's, it's, it's too, I, the time, the unpredictability of the problems that come up, uh, just everything you have to do to do it right in my eyes is just too time consuming and too invasive and, and, and other things I should really be doing. Um, what I like the most is actually uh, the relationships that I build and the, the the sharing of what's going on. I mean, I've got a lot of people in my Twitter DMs, and, and, it, and it's actually too many. But I, I actually really like it uh, is just interacting with every sort of person and getting everybody's views and realizing that everybody's a lot closer uh than they realize in thought process, quite frankly. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a handful of idiots out there and, and trolls that just they're lost souls, but the majority of people are a lot more reasonable than you realize and a lot smarter than you realize. And you can learn from people that are following you or, 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 or reach out to you. And I love that. And I actually, I love helping other people. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have, have just said, thank you for this or thank you for that. And I really, really enjoy that. So these, you know, these two issues are not, you know, actual betting involved, but uh, just the peripheral feelings of uh, what's good and bad for me. That reminds me of the classic Abraham Lincoln quote. I don't like that man. I must get to know him better when you can really connect with somebody and have a conversation, even with some disparate views on some pot button topics, there's a lot more common ground than people would believe based on just about any media they'll consume these days. Yeah, that's absolutely a hundred percent true. I, I get ridiculed from other people in the industry because I engage people generally uh, if they're critical of me, because um, usually it's unreasonable. Um, but I, if somebody can correct me on something, I'm, I've got no ego involved. I'm not the smartest guy in any room. So uh, I, I want people to help me out. I want people to correct me if I'm doing something wrong. But, I, you know, there's people that reach out to you that 
are so unhappy with their own lives that they kind of just lash out at you. And I found a great success of, of reaching back to some of these people and, and just being nice and saying, okay, let's talk about what you just said. And, you know, usually it, it, it's just lashing out, but I'm not going to make them pay the price for it. it. I just want everybody to be happy. I'm just trying to do my thing. I don't need grief from people. And there's just a fair amount of people that uh, are just unhappy and just want to get satisfaction from making other people miserable. And, and that's a miserable life to lead. Well, if things become any more miserable with betting, not the results so much as how invasive you mentioned it possibly becoming, whether this is the last year or thinking about eventually hanging it up and moving on from betting, whenever the time comes, selfishly, I hope we're still a ways out from that. Mm -hmm. But what else do you envision doing with all the time you put into betting? I imagine that could free up quite a bit. So how would you look to allocate that time in a different world? I don't know. I mean, I, the, the only thing that I know is that uh, for proper mental health, I've got to have other outside interests. I, I cannot be sacrificing uh, relationships or uh, uh, anything along those lines for the sake of, of betting. And it, it just become too kind, time consuming for me. And uh, it's just a concern. Hopefully I'll, I'll work it out in the next month and uh, be back to 2020. <laughs> There we go. Well, on the topic of good habits and mental health, I think we can also start to round the corner and weave in a couple pillars of this podcast, starting with the Molinsky Minute. I know that Dave was the master of good routines in season with the NFL and college football and everything he bet seriously. And then in the offseason, he loved getting off the grid and pursuing any other walk of life. He had so many other passions. To that end, I know it's just about time to buckle down and really focus on the NFL for anybody who's doing this seriously. But when you do have the opportunity, how do you recharge? Well, until the COVID hit, I would take three months off and, and head to Asia and spend it mostly in Thailand. And uh, even though I would have to come back and ha take a vacation from my vacation, um, I, it just worked out. I mean, uh, it just know that you have to do something different. And I used to go to the movies three times a week. I don't have time for uh, to watch a show at home anymore. It's like, it, it, so it, it, there's been such an extreme, uh, uh, and, and I put myself in these positions with obligations and I, I accept the responsibility in a lot of it, but uh, the, the, the unpredictability of everything just drives me uh, through a wall sometimes. Uh, Short answer, you, you have to have a life outside of this. Is, and, and Dave had the right idea. I miss taking three months off. I'll tell you, that, that was a lot of fun. Well, when things drive you up a wall too much, sometimes all good things in moderation, but sometimes it's good to weave into the other pillar of this show, the hops, just to take off the edge a little bit. And to that end, I know that craft beer isn't the biggest thing in your world. That's perfectly acceptable. But Chris, I've got to know, if you're to set the line, what would be the over-under on Jim Beam consumption in the Las Vegas Chris household this NFL season? Oh, it's pretty high, actually. You know, I like to uh, – it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a dependency by any means, but uh, when, I, when I've got things covered or games are going to start or I'm done or, uh, you know, occasionally when I'm stressed, it's definitely hitting the Jim Beam. <laughs> 
And speaking of habit, I know that I try to keep it to non-school nights, as I put it, often Fridays and Saturdays. There's the occasional exception, but again, trying to manage whether it's betting, beer, trying to keep all good things in their rightful place. Are there any days or times as part of your routine that you'd be most likely to be enjoying a drink or times that you make sure that you're not engaging in drinking? Maybe evenings. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not waking up to it, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the occasional evenings and, uh, you know, you're, you're watching these scores go by, uh, I'm doing baseball and boy, I'll tell you, <laughs> I hate people that complain, but the rough stretch I've had with variants is just obscene, <laughs> just obscene. Uh, but yeah, the evenings and uh, sometimes when I'm doing paperwork or something like that uh, down in the garage. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Well, I also am glad that you're not waking up to it because otherwise we might not have the opportunity to dig into as many conversations like this. So uh, glad it's serving its purpose and we'll leave it at that. Chris, as we approach an hour, 15 minutes, I want to make sure to respect your time uh, if I can still do that, given the length of this interview, so we can go ahead and start to wrap things up. I want to thank everybody for watching and listening. And if you're catching this in podcast form, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to take just a few seconds, leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Chris, also want to be sure to plug your work on Twitter at Las Vegas Chris, no H in Chris. Also, check out the YouTube channel I'll link to in the show notes. Anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? No, not really. Uh, uh, I just enjoy a little bit of a break and a good conversation with uh, mostly original topics. And uh, the, the the contest playlist may have nine or ten videos on it. There's just slightly different variances uh, and tidbits that uh, I know that I put some some stuff in there that I regret saying because it was good. So uh, you'll have to have to trudge through it all, but uh, uh, there's always something a little bit different and uh, hopefully we'll have some uh, decent uh, YouTube content this fall uh, occasionally, but uh, it won't be a, a, a summer series of superstars. We don't just don't have the time for it. All right. Well, I'll mark it down. Your quote was mostly original topics and given everything that you've produced lately, I will gladly take that as a win so, Chris, once again, thanks for the time and insight. I've got to say, I'm looking forward to our next spicy Thai food adventure. Uh, yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> I, I appreciate you having me on. Look forward to seeing you next time you're in town because I'm not making it to California. <laughs> <laughs>